Here's the question for today. What are we made of? We know we have a body. Then, in addition to a body, there's a non-material part to us, a non-physical part. And really, the question is, are there two parts, a soul and a spirit inside us? Or is it just a soul with another name for it being spirit? And I'll, I'll tell you in advance what my conclusion is. My conclusion is that soul and spirit are two different words for the same thing. And I noticed that Daryl kind of already taught my lesson for me because during the last hour he was saying soul or spirit. Uh, several times he said that during the sermon. And uh, so I think that is his view as well. The, the, the views on this issue have some technical terms. The, the one word is called trichotomy. Tri meaning three. Trichotomy meaning we're made of three things, body, soul, and spirit. Dichotomy, di meaning two, means we're just body and soul or spirit. And then there's monism, which I'll talk about in a minute. But I'll start out first by saying most people, both Christians and non-Christians, sense that they also have an immaterial part. That is, they often would call it a soul. There's just an instinct in us that there is something uh, that lives beyond the time we die, that we're not just a body. There's a, there's a soul within us. And uh, the three views, trichotomy, dichotomy, and, and monism, are, are, I'll explain this in this way. Trichotomy is man is made of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And the people who hold to this say that man's spirit is a higher faculty. It's made alive when a person becomes a Christian. Your spirit becomes alive. And on this view of trichotomy view, a spirit is the person that most directly worships and prays to God. It's the spiritual part of you, you might say. And uh, John 4.24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth, so our spirits worship. And uh, But they would think of that as a separate part of our being. And you can understand how people would get there because soul and spirit are different words. They're different words in Greek and they're different words in Hebrew. And, and so it might be that uh, those two different words would indicate two different things. And it's kind of an instinctive view. But it's interesting, for over 100 years in the academic world, I don't know of anybody who has defended trichotomy. It's interesting. In, scholars can uh, defend dichotomy and argue against monism, but um, I had to go back to, there's a German scholar, died in 1890, named Franz Delitzsch, an Old Testament scholar, and he held to trichotomy, but I don't think anybody since then has argued that in an academic way. It's quite interesting. <clears throat> dichotomy is that the spirit is not a separate part of man, but but another term for soul, and that man, that is man and, as male and female, mankind, uh, or us as human beings, that we are made up of two parts, our body and our soul or spirit. And then there's a third view, but this third view is not a view that's held by Christians. It's, a, it's a kind of a secular view. That is, the body is all there is. That's called monism. The man is only one element. His body is the person. We have no soul. If uh, you've gone to a class in a secular university and taken a philosophy class, you might get philosophers arguing, saying, of course, there isn't any soul. How can you prove that it exists? There's no proof. It's just 
It's just your chemical reactions in your brain, your nerves, and things like that, and your emotions. We can explain all those in terms of just physical reactions. And so that would be a, a secular view. Um, and that people would say, we have no soul, we die, that's it. Well, the biblical data, what does it say? It seems, before we start out on this, the emphasis in the Bible is on the overall unity of man. That is, the Bible doesn't generally speak of a person's body doing something apart from his soul or a person's soul doing something apart from his body. Uh, rather, the whole person does something or other, and there seems to be uh, interaction between them. In fact, um, I don't think I have the verse up here, but there's a verse that says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a downcast spirit dries up the bones. That is, uh, when we're really discouraged and down, we kind of feel it in our physical bodies. There is an interaction constantly between what's going on in our soul and what happens in our bodies. And maybe you know that. Um, uh, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you're hit with some kind of sickness, a flu or something, spiritually you kind of often feel just, oh, I can't even, it's really hard to have energy to read my Bible or pray. And that is, there's uh, interaction. Interaction, And sometimes when there's just a special time of prayer and rejoicing and worship in the, is the presence of God, your body feels renewed and refreshed as well because there's interaction between body and soul. And so it, the emphasis of the Bible is we do something. Our whole person does something, and it, and it relates to both body and soul. And so uh, one takeaway little lesson from this before we go on into the details is that the Bible is concerned that we grow in holiness and in love for God in our bodies as well as our spirits or souls. 2 Corinthians 7.1, Since we have these promises, brothers, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit and make holiness perfect in the fear of God. Paul wants us to take care of our bodies, not defile them, not abuse them, not neglect them, but care for them to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. And then uh, in our spirits not not uh, have uh, sinful thoughts or ideas permeating and affecting us as well. So uh, the body body and soul are both important, uh, and the Bible seems to be concerned that uh, we look after the needs of both. Now, um, it seems to me, however, that as I look at the verses in the Bible, it seems that the Bible uses the words spirit and soul interchangeably. And so uh, the Hebrew, uh, biblical words translated soul, uh, Hebrew nephesh and Greek, and Greek psuche, uh, related to our word psychology, and uh, the word spirit, ruach in Hebrew and pneuma in Greek, they're sometimes used interchangeably. For instance, just before Jesus' death, when he knew he was going to be beaten and suffer and die, he said in John 12, 27, now is my soul troubled. And then just the next chapter, John 13, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Seems like John is saying the same things in his gospel, just using uh, two different words. John 12, 27, John 13, 21. Or um, this one, uh, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit, Spirit rejoices in God my Savior, Luke 1, 46 to 47. And there's something in Hebrew called Hebrew parallelism, where Hebrew po poetic speech will say something and then say it again just using different words. And sometimes there's a little change in meaning, but sometimes it's just a repetition. 
And so I think that's what's going on here. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's kind of saying the same thing with uh, different words. It looks like they're they're interchangeable. Um, Hebrews uh, 12.23 can talk about people in heaven, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So people in heaven who have died and gone before, they're called spirits. But Revelation 6.9, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. Their people in heaven are called souls. And so it looks again like they're kind of different, different words used in the same way. And uh, another thing, when we die, <clears throat> um, sometimes the Bible can say our spirit departs and goes to heaven. Sometimes the Bible can say our soul departs and goes to heaven. So um, here I, uh, oh, who is this in Genesis 35? Just let me look for a minute. This is 3518. Um this is uh, Rachel, and Rachel went into labor, and her, as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. Okay, this is um, one of the sons, the, the youngest son then of Jacob, being born to uh, the wife whom he loved most, Rachel, and uh, her, it says her soul was departing, for she was dying. And then First um, Kings 17:21. I'll turn to that as well. First Kings 17:21. Here's Elijah, and uh, uh, the widow of Zarephath had a son who died, and. Elijah came and stretched his own body on the dead child's body and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let the child's life come into him again. But the Hebrew word nephesh uh, is the word normally used for soul. And so here, the soul would come back into the person uh, to uh, restore life. And um, Isaiah 53, 12, he poured out his soul, a nephesh, to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Or Luke 12:20, this night your soul, your psuche, your soul is required of you because the man was going to die. So there are a number of verses that says that say our soul departs when we die. But then when uh, <clears throat> Psalm 31 talks about a person dying, <clears throat> it's a prediction of the Messiah, and the psalmist says, "Into your hand I commit my spirit." And Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, quoted this in Luke 23:46, said, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. So then the Bible can talk about a person's spirit uh, dying. Or Ecclesiastes 12:7, talking about the time of death, says, the spirit returns to God who gave it. Or uh, John 19:30 of Jesus' crucifixion, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So some verses can say, that our soul departs when we die. Some verses can say our spirit departs when we die. But scripture nowhere says that a person's soul and spirit departed and went to heaven or were yielded up to God. And so uh, I, I don't think they're two different things. I think they're just uh, two different words for the same thing. Cindy? Um, Wayne, would you say that uh, a kind of Greek, a borrowing from the Hebrew parallelism, would you say that that's the answer for 1 Thessalonians 5.23? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our 
Okay. Now, see, I'm dealing with the easy verses first, and Sandy jumps to the hard verse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. First uh, <coughs> Thessalonians uh, 5.23 does mention spirit, soul, and body. Hold on for a few minutes, because it, uh, I, I, do, I don't want to run away from it, but it is a verse that people bring up in this regard. So, yeah, good. Just I'm going to delay it for a little bit. The Old Testament authors recognize that a person exists after his body dies, though. <clears throat> Contrary to those who claim that Old Testament authors saw only the unity of man, a number of those verses about a person's soul returning to God or her soul was departing before she died, into your hands I commit my spirit, <clears throat> and things like that. And of course, Elijah was caught up into heaven. Enoch was not, for God took him. They go into the presence of God. Okay, now, man is said to be either body and soul or body and spirit. Most verses. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot, cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, Matthew 10, 28. It looks like Jesus is talking about the whole person, body and soul, soul and body, the whole person. Or 1 Corinthians 5, 5, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Flesh and spirit. Looks like flesh, but in a kind of equivalent of body. It looks like that is speaking of the whole person, either as body and soul or body and spirit. Therefore, uh, spirit and soul or soul can refer to the person's entire immaterial existence. And so in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, if we cleanse ourselves of body and spirit, it's, it's cleansing all of us. Cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. It's cleansing our whole person. It isn't like there's some other leftover part that we're not cleansing. So again, body and spirit seem to be speaking of the whole person. Um, and then here's another strong consideration. Uh, a, a view held by people who hold to trichotomy would tend to say the spirit is the spiritual part of us and it's, 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 it's holy, it's perfect. And so we wouldn't expect that that would sin. We sin when our souls take over and then that, that would be where we get sin. But... There are some verses that talk about a spirit, our spirits sinning. Um, so um, when we get this, it's contrary to the view of trichotomists who believe only the soul can sin. Uh, Paul encourages cleansing from every defilement of body and spirit. So that means there can be defilement or sin in our spirits. Or the unmarried woman, 1 Corinthians 7.34, is concerned how to be holy in body and spirit. Uh, or uh, Psalm 78 talks about a generation whose spirit was not faithful to God. So our spirits can sin. That, that leads me to this conclusion. I just sat down with my Bible and I said, <clears throat> is there anything that the Bible says that the spirit does that the soul doesn't do? Or is there anything the Bible says the soul does that the spirit doesn't do? And I couldn't find anything. See, knowing things in our spirit or soul, Sinning in our spirit or soul, worshiping God with our spirit and soul, dying, our spirit or our soul goes to heaven. All those things seem to be said of both spirit and soul. So I can't find any difference between the two. And that makes me think the two are the same. Here are some verses. Experiencing emotions. Now some people, a trichotomist would say, your emotions, that's part of your soul. Emotions, your intellect, your will, that's part of your soul and your spirit is something different. But if I look at the Bible and it talks about emotions, I can find things in our spirits that experience emotions. So Acts 17, 16, when Paul was in Athens, he was troubled by all the idols, and it says his spirit, Paul's spirit was provoked within him. Proverbs 17, 22, a crushed spirit 
uh, I think that's the one that says dries up the bones, Proverbs 17.22. Um, somebody have that? Let's see. Yeah, a crushed spirit, a downcast spirit dries up the bones. There is a, a, a feeling emotions. Or Jesus was troubled in his spirit, John 13.21. And so... Um, emotions can be felt in our spirit too. So it isn't just that our soul feels emotions. Uh, knowing things, Jesus, Mark 2.8, Mark, uh, Mark 2.8, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they question within themselves. So there's a, Jesus can know things in his spirit. Or Romans 8.16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit so we can perceive and know things in our spirit. It's not just that the spirit or the soul feels and thinks these things, but it seems to me that these activities are done by the whole person, including the body and the brain, etc. So um, Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. It's the whole person. And again, I don't think there's anything that is done just by the soul or just by the spirit. And then and people say, well, our spirit, that's the part that relates to God. That's the, that's the really spiritual part of us. I say, well, wait a minute. The soul relates to God, doesn't it? Uh, Psalm 25.1, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Psalm 103.1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Psalm or Luke 146, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mark 12.30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and your strength. So there seems to be no area of life that's just carried out by our spirits and not our souls or just carried out by our souls and not our spirits. I can't see any difference. Both soul and spirit are said to do all the same things. Therefore, it seems to me that the dichotomous view is best. Spirit and soul are different words for the same thing, the non-material part of our existence, and we are made of body and soul or spirit. Now, that's, I mean, that's, that's, my, that's the reason I get there, and that's, that's my conclusion as I look at those verses in the Bible. Now, there are going to be some questions. There's a question from Hebrews 4.12. There's a question from 1 Thessalonians 5.23, so I'm going to come to those in just a second. But if there are other questions than those two, because I've got those on some slides. John? You said in 100 years there, there hasn't been any arguments for trichotomy. Yep. So are there churches today that believe that? All over the place. I, I, say, say the question again for the tape. You, you say in the scholar or in the... Yeah, in the academic world. In the academic world, world yep. nobody's made an argument for trichotomy in 100 years. Right, as far as I know. Okay. And then my question is, are there churches that hold that a trichotomy? That hold a trichotomy yep. And if so, what are they? Oh, I, I don't know who they are, but I meet people all the time that hold a trichotomy <clears throat> all over the place. And so why is that? I think <clears throat> there are two reasons. <clears throat> There's Hebrews 4.12 that speaks of the word of God being sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit. Okay, I'll talk about that in a minute. And then there's 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that talks about your body, soul, and spirit be kept pure and blameless. So two verses. And then it's kind of an instinct that people have. Oh, I've got this spiritual sense that's different from my emotions or something, my feelings. There's kind of an instinct. And what else? There's just been some popular Christian literature that's written in that regard. Um, and Watchman Nee, a, a Chinese Christian devotional writer who's very helpful in many ways, talks about the spiritual man and the soulish man and things like that. So it's just kind of, it's out there in the Christian world, and I keep bumping into people who say, Wayne, I don't know, I've read your arguments, but I still think we have a soul different from our spirit. So um, 
but I'm giving you my best shot for you know the overall teaching of scripture. Um, um, okay. <laughs> yeah, here. I forgot your name. Don, yeah. You gave an example of Mary talking about her yep, soul. My and soul, yeah, yeah. Can you not use the word life over soul using an English word? Uh, you know, what what is the emanating force that makes this body get up in the morning or makes yep. it uh, makes a dog wag his tail? Yep. You know, there's an emanating force. Yep. Uh, I've always considered that as the soul or life, yep. and the spirit is what we commune with God. Yeah. Yeah, some people, I mean, sometimes the word suke or nefesh in Hebrew does mean life. It depends on the context, how it's translated. And uh, this night your soul is required of you. Some people might say, oh, that means this night your life is required of you. But, but there are other cases where his soul departed or his soul returned. I don't think it's life. I think it's the person. So, and my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That doesn't mean life. That means a different part of you. Or Paul perceiving, or let's see, Paul was troubled in spirit. It doesn't mean he's troubled in his life. It means there was a spiritual part of him that was troubled. So, sometimes it means one and sometimes, sometimes at least the word nefesh can mean life. Yeah. Wayne. That's true. Um, over, I'm over here. Over here. Wayne, over here. <laughs> My question is, okay. I've always thought of trichotomy because of Howdy. the spirit being a capital S. Ah. And, and so that makes me wonder whether the churches that think that it's a trichotomy yep. of of body, soul, and spirit, thinking the, of the Holy Spirit, because a non-Christian wouldn't have the yep. spirit. So yep. that's, I mean, Okay, I, good, Donnie. I'm, I'm glad you asked that. The Holy Spirit, people hold a trichotomy and people who hold a dichotomy. Both groups say the Holy Spirit is something else, different. The Holy Spirit is God himself who comes to live within us, but that's different from our spirit. So it says in Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That means the Holy Spirit comes in and, and we notice, spiritually, we notice that the Holy Spirit is there and our spirit says, yes, I know that I'm a child of God. So... Capital S spirit means Holy Spirit. Small s spirit means my human spirit, the part that, that's not physical in me. Okay. Mike? Yeah, when this may be somewhere you're, where you're going, but is the soul a created entity by God? Yes, I and think so. does Jesus have a soul? Yes, both. There was... Um, there was when people, and I'll get to this in about a month, but the, in the early church when people were trying to figure out what to believe about Jesus as God and man together, there were some people, um, let's see, there were some people who said Jesus only has a, a human body, uh, not a human spirit or soul. Uh, Apollinarianism is the name of the heresy that was rejected in the early church. Uh, this Apollinarist said, oh, well, I've got it. Jesus just had a human body, but he didn't have a human spirit, the Holy Spirit within him, or, or his divine nature was the... Was the but, but the problem is that the church said, no, we need salvation, not just of our bodies, but we need salvation of our whole person. And Jesus had to be a whole, whole human being with a genuine human soul or spirit. Um, to redeem us and represent us. 
So, so Jesus, I think, had a, a soul or spirit just like we do, only without sin. And that's when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's what's going to the Father. It's his human spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Pam? You know, the reason that I always thought that there were three, I mean, this is just fascinating to me, um, how they have names for all these different things and, and thoughts and, you know, your ways are much higher than my ways, Wayne, for sure. But the, um, because we are a reflection of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, I always thought there were three parts of us because we were made in the image of God. And I just, I thought that, uh, but but thinking it and proving it are two different yep. things. And yep. I appreciate you um showing us how how you how you think this thing mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. yeah that's a good that's a good question um <clears throat> would god made us make us to be three parts because it reflects the trinity um I, he might have um but i just don't think the verses bear that out and i think that the way that we reflect the trinity is um by the fact that we're more people uh, you know many people uh, and we have a unity in the church we have unity in marriage and your family and other things. Okay, Charlie. Maybe you're headed there, but are there warnings in this? Like if someone does hold the trichotomy, can you get into trouble? Or is this just kind of a, uh, a technical thing that we want clarity on? Or is, know, is it dangerous? I think, well, the kind of general theory is if we believe something that's not true in the Bible, it might skew other things a little bit. And I think what happens actually is that there's a t if people hold a trichotomy, then you say, well, what is the soul? They say, well, that includes your mind and your thinking. But that's not as important as your spirit. And so it can be anti-intellectual, anti-study, anti-academic. You just All you do is you just worship and you love God, but you don't think. Now, that's a caricature, but I mean, that's, that would be the extreme. But there are some... There are some groups that would go that direction. And I encountered one one time when we were in Philadelphia where a college I was working with a college group and a college student was going to this other kind of cultish thing. And I, so I went with her, uh, or Margaret and I went with her to just to visit this thing. And when I tried to argue with these people or discuss on the base, the Bible said, that's soulish. That's just intellectual. We're, we have the spirit and we know what we're about. So that, so that could be a danger. And the other thing is, if your spirit is really the highest, most important part, it could make you neglect your body and say, well, that's not your spiritual part. So that, uh, th those would be dangers. Okay, Laverne? In your view of dichotomist and this, the trichotomist, well, how can you quench the spirit or grieve the spirit? How does that separate out okay. from the soul if Good. Okay. your view is correct? Good. Uh, Laverne, that would be kind of related to this other, other question over here. Uh, I think that both views would say don't quench the Spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5 or grieving the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4. They would say that that is the Holy Spirit. That's not our own personal human spirit. Don't quench the Spirit would be don't quench the Holy Spirit working within you. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't make the Holy Spirit within you feel sorrowful about your actions. Capital S would tell you the difference. Yeah. Spirit. Yeah. Art. Does the Holy Spirit come and go? Here we go. 
Does the Holy Spirit come and go? I'd like to think not, but yeah. uh, we're, we're seemingly involved with soul no. and body and spirit. Yeah, well, our human spirit leaves when we die. Because you go to a funeral, of course, the body is just there in the person's body, but you say that's not really the person because the spirit is gone or the soul. But the Holy Spirit... Um, Within our lifetimes, once we're born again, the Holy Spirit stays within us and remains. But I think the Holy Spirit can work more or less strongly, manifest himself more or less powerfully. We can talk about being filled with the Spirit or different people in the Bible, Peter filled with the Spirit began to do this. And so there can be a stronger work or weaker work, but the Holy Spirit remains within us. Okay, yeah, I'd like to get this one on the tape, too, because this is a good... <laughs> and now I can tell a couple stories to tell, because I, I hear where it's going. Go ahead. People talk about a sixth sense, yep. and I've always maintained that my sixth sense was the Holy Spirit. Uh -huh. You spend 20 years in a trauma center, Yep. you got to have somebody a bit stronger than my, <laughs> okay. just my spirit. So okay. I don't want to think that he's coming and going. Good, good. <laughs> good. Art, Art comes out of all many years of practice as a physician in Wisconsin, I think. Yeah. Um, um, I think, I'm just going to kind of back off to a broad answer here. I think what the secular world has vocabulary that they use to explain what Christians would call our spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit. And so sixth sense might be one of those. But, uh, and Sandy could help out here, the whole world of psychology isn't built on thinking about us as having a soul or a spirit. It's built on, let's see if we can get a physical explanation for all this stuff. And, and then all sorts of vocabulary grows up to... Um, to describe what we would call spiritual terms. So uh, what people would call a sixth sense, for Christians, I think it is often the Holy Spirit guiding us in one way or another. Now, we can make mistakes on that, because sometimes it could be the pizza we ate last night. Too. <laughs> but, but, but I think we get, as we grow as maturity as Christians, we get better at sensing the Holy Spirit's guidance. Now, let me tell you two stories, and because they're very recent, and they, uh, I'm, I'm just... Yeah, I don't, because this tape goes out on the internet. Could you turn off the recording for just a second? So, so my, um, my encouragement to you is to grow in being sensitive to how the Holy Spirit guides us in that. And the fact that two things like that happened and looked like it was just the Lord leading in the last few days, that's an encouragement to me. It's an encouragement to say, maybe, you know, this is God starting to do something exciting uh, uh, in our lives or in this area. Andrea? Uh, we talk a lot about the heart. And so is the heart, um, we're talking about the spirit. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. I, I don't know. Okay, I'll just repeat it for the tape. Okay. Andrea's saying, what is the heart then? I think um, the heart is the Bible's expression for all of our inner life and our, and our convictions and our, just, it's the broader sense. It includes what our spirit is doing and thinking and our dispositions and our convictions are, it's the whole of our inward life. So it's not just our mind. It includes what we think, but, but it's deeper than that, bigger. Sandy? Um, yeah, just one, one additional thing I would say in, in 
One additional thing I would say in support of a dichotomist view is the danger of compartmentalizing our inner life. Mm -hmm. That we can say, oh, well, I try to have a regular quiet time, and so it doesn't matter that uh, I rage at my coworkers. Because that's your, that's because you're, right. you're being that's spiritual. Right. That's just you know, your soul. That's just, <coughs> you know, that's just your emotions. That's not just your how I am. Yeah. That's just yeah. how I am. Yeah. You know, I can be rude to people, but that's really that's not important because I'm praying on a regular could, yeah, basis. Yeah, that's not my spiritual and life. So we can easily compartmentalize Good. Good. Um, our inner lives. Good. Thanks, Sandy. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, Mark. Well, that's the sense that the secular person would have. Yeah. You know. Uh, the, the, Holy Spirit, the secular person would yeah, have. Well, the Holy Spirit shall lead us in all truth. And yeah. I think, you know, if we're in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is going to bring Scripture to mind so that we can rightly think. Often. The secular person doesn't have the Spirit of God. Yeah. They're going to, their counsel, their sixth sense is probably going to come from the other side. And it's probably going to be more fleshly. It's, it's, it's not going to be the way of God. That's, and I think that's the huge difference between probably the regenerate person and the person not okay regenerate. good mark uh, that's certainly true that the enemy can influence the spiritual side of the of the uh, of the secular person first john says we are uh, let's see uh, we are children of god but the whole world is in the power of the evil one so there's that and there's just sin that's natural selfishness and human sin in people's life but also you know, when the Holy Spirit is working to draw people to Himself, sometimes that's that for a non-Christian, they're like um, there 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 can be a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit uh, leading or guiding someone in a certain way too. So, okay, good. All that's good. I'm going to go on. Uh, my conclusion is we are made of body and soul or spirit used interchangeably. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. When I get to the end of that, I'm not 100% sure I'm right. <laughs> that is, I think it's about right, but but I just wonder if there isn't some difference in usage anyway, even if there isn't a different part of us. But I haven't been able to figure out what it is in the Bible. So maybe maybe it's just synonyms, but but I wonder if there's some different emphasis, but I'm not sure. Okay. Now, what are the arguments for trichotomy? Back on the other side, what would someone say? Well, there are a couple of verses in particular. Number one, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, May the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, that, I think, is a fair translation. I was in on the committee that translated it that way. <laughs> Uh, when we said, well, may your whole spirit and soul and body, that prejudices it in a way that would favor dichotomy. That is, it, it, uh, it's saying your whole person. And it's just saying, um, uh, but, but other translations have had, may your spirit and soul and body be kept um, holy or something like that. I, I, I'd have to look at them that maybe make it look a little different. And then Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And sometimes people have said, like King James said, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, not soul and of spirit. And so it looks like you're dividing the two things, soul and spirit. 
Uh, and then uh, Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, 1 Corinthians 14, 14. Does this mean his mind is doing something different from his spirit, indicating that they're different? The soul, including the mind, is different. So that, that would be a verse. And then there's an argument from personal experience. People say, oh, I'm just kind of spiritually aware of things, and it seems different from my emotions or my will or my intellect. And then people say, well, isn't the spirit what makes us different from animals? And then another argument is our spirit comes alive at regeneration. If this, uh, and some, in some versions, Romans 8.10 says, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive, a lowercase s, uh, because of righteousness. Oh, there it is. Your spirits are alive, revised standard version, because of righteousness. But it's not always translated that way. Some, and more, more recently, the tendency, I think, has been, and I think more literally, the spirit is life, so that may not be the best translation. Okay, so those are the arguments. Now, what would my answer be? First Thessalonians 5.23, it's just piling up synonyms to mean the whole person. Your whole spirit and soul and body just means all of you. Like this, Matthew 22.37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Well, now how many things do I have? Let's see, heart soul, mind, and then, of course, spirit, and then body. Oh, now I've got five parts. Pentotomy or is it pentochotomy. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, I, don't, I don't think those are all different things. I think they're just lots of different words meaning the inward part of us. Um, again, Don. Does that bring you back to the Psalms where he talks about Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. The Psalms talk about, uh, 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 bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And and the Hebrew actually literally can talk about our heart or our kidneys would be the kind of place where our emotions is and it doesn't get translated literally. They had kind of this sense that inside us, these bodily organs kind of represented emotions and feelings and things. So I think it's just different ways of talking about all of us. Hebrews 4.12 the word of God is living and active, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I don't think this is meaning piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit. So so um, you can let's see, how can I you can divide soul from spirit, like it's going through and separating them out. I think it means Dividing the soul, dividing the spirit, dividing the joints, dividing the marrow, that is, it's just going deep inside you. And he's saying there are a lot of different things that the, that the word of God, the spirit of God, goes deep inside you like a sword. I don't think he means he's dividing one from the other. So those are the two main verses. Does that make sense? Um, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, 1 Corinthians 14, 14. I think it means Paul doesn't understand the content of what he's praying, but I don't think you need trichotomy to do that. You can say my spirit prays, that is the non-material part of me, but I don't understand. That's all. And personal experience, I do agree people should have a spiritual component in their lives. I think we should sense what we're doing inwardly in our spirits. I, and I just talked about that for a few minutes, but this sense is, is not just our spirit, it's also said to be our soul does this. My soul magnifies the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Love the, God, love the Lord your God with all your soul. And so I think you can call it either one, but it doesn't mean there's a separate part. 
What makes us different from animals is not that we have a spirit, but that we worship God and relate to him in the spiritual realm, the non-physical realm. And so I don't think it's a separate part of us. It's just that that non-material part has abilities that an animal doesn't have, and as we can relate to God and worship him and pray to him. Does our spirit come alive at regeneration? I don't think that's a good way to talk about conversion, um, although I've heard some gospel presentations that way. And, and the reason is that the Bible can sometimes talk about a non-Christian, unbeliever, having a spirit that does things. So Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let the Israelites pass by, Deuteronomy 2.30, for the Lord God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate. And so there he had a spirit that was, that was hardened. And uh, Daniel 5.20, Nebuchadnezzar, when his heart was lifted up, his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, was brought down from his kingly throne. And uh, Psalm 78.8, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Probably unbelievers, they didn't have faith. So I think that uh, non-Christians also have a spirit or soul, but it's rebellious against God. It, it isn't that we have one and they don't, or ours is alive and theirs isn't. We as whole persons are a new creation in Christ. What happens at salvation is, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. So uh, the whole of us is made new and able to relate to God. Conclusion. Although the arguments for trichotomy have some force, they are not ultimately persuasive. And I don't think there is any argument for a trichotomy that can overcome all these verses about spirit and soul being used interchangeably and doing the same things, being used synonymously. So now let's see where I am, 1045. Um, oh, I'm going to, I'll just go on. We've got a few more minutes. Um, I'm going to read this from an old, older systematic theology book, Louis Burkhoff. Kind of, he studied the history of Christian thought and he said, the tripartite or trichotomy, tripartite conception of man originated in Greek philosophy, which conceived of the relation to the body, of the body and the spirit of man to each other after the analogy of the relation between the material universe and God. It was thought that in Greek philosophy, just as the latter, the universe and God, could enter into communion with each other only by means of a third substance or an intermediate being, so the former, humans, could enter into mutual vital relationships only by means of a third or intermediate element, namely the soul. So he's saying that the, the idea of, of trichotomy went back to Greek thought, not to the Bible. And uh, so following Greek philosophy, there would be this sense in trichotomy that the material world is essentially evil and the spirit is the really good thing. And this can lead to, as I answered to Charlie a while ago, it can lead to diminishing the importance of our physical bodies and the importance of the material creation, which God says is very good. Another danger with trichotomy is an anti-intellectual tendency of elevating spirit as that thing that relates most closely to God, and therefore vigorous academic work and thinking and arguing and discussing can be seen as unspiritual. But Jesus says we are to love the Lord our God with all our mind, as well as with our heart and soul. That is, uh, the whole person um, can be spiritual, can relate to God. And Paul talks about arguments and taking thoughts captive in 2 Corinthians 
Um, and trichotomy can lead to an emphasis on spiritual discernment apart from the truth uh, and arguments based on the truth. So uh, I'm back to dichotomy, and I think the advantages are it, over, it emphasizes the overall unity of human beings, maintains the value of our body, and promotes a healthful unity between body and spirit. And here's that verse I was looking for, Proverbs 17:22, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. There's an interaction between the two. And it encourages Christian growth in the whole person. Um, I'm kind of going through this quickly because I think I've already talked about this. But does the Bible speak of an immaterial part of man that exists without his body? Yes. Um, We have a soul. I'm skipping that. I'm skipping that. Our soul goes to, oh, Daryl just preached on this. When we die, our soul goes to, or our spirit goes to be with the Lord. Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit when he is dying. Paul says, we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Okay, now. Uh, before I go to the last point of the outline, I want to see if we're all okay with this. <laughs> okay, Question, Wanda is, questions over here. See, okay, yeah, Carol. I've just had the thought, what, where does the mentally and emotionally handicapped person, is that a bodily problem? I mean, I know that it, yeah, or it seems like it affects their spirit and their mind. I just wonder where they're at. Um, I'm not sure. I think that um, let me let me just see. I, I, there are so many things that come to mind right now. Um, let's just talk, for instance, about someone who is born with a very diminished mental capacity. Well, I think that person is still a human being in the image of God, has a soul, and sometimes uh, people with very diminished mental capacity can have a, a love for God that's very genuine and real. And uh, surely they're going to be with the Lord in heaven, and they've trusted in Jesus in a very simple way, but, but there's a genuine faith, and their minds will be renewed, and that mental capacity they didn't have will be given to them, I think, in the resurrection. So that's, that's in general. But then there are all sorts of complex things that happen. When we take certain medicines... I know this. When I, if, if I take certain medicines, my mind starts to get fuzzy, and it's harder to pray. What is that? It's saying there's constant interaction between body and soul or body and spirit, and one can affect the other, and all of that's kind of mysterious. I'm not sure how it works, um, but we can extrapolate that to a lot of other cases. So, yeah. Now, yep. I forgot your name. Rosemary. Rosemary, I know who you are. Uh, Daryl spoke this morning about our spirits and then becoming a new body. Yep. Okay, what what happens to the lost person? What happens to their soul and their body? Do they get a new body when they go to hell, or yeah. do we know? There's a, there's a very frightening verse that was right at the beginning of the hour. Jesus said, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And I think it means, and there is in the book of Revelation, uh, the people rise to the judgment. Uh, or the hour is coming when all, in John, 
when all in the tombs will come forth and uh, will hear his voice and come forth and they'll stand before God at judgment. So I think that unbelievers, on the last day when Jesus comes back, or at the day of final judgment, they'll be summoned to appear in their bodies before God and to be judged. But I don't think they'll get the new resurrection bodies that we will have. It's a, it's a hard hard thing to think about and a hard, hard question. Yeah. Rosemary. Okay, Wayne. Several years ago, and because we have some scientific folks in our class, I'd like to ask this question. I read an article in Reader's Digest where there was a scientific study where they weighed animals yeah. and humans yeah. and right after death. And the uh, animals had no loss in weight, and the humans, they said, yeah. had about a three-quarter ounce loss of weight, and he attributed that to the soul. Yeah. And I want to is that true or false? I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had I'd seen that too, and I didn't know what to make of it. Wayne, it's true that it was in Reader's Digest. But if, if it was in Reader's Digest, it's true. I don't know. I don't know. Look, uh, we're kind of at the end here. Uh, there's one more kind of related topic, and I'm not going to. I'm just going to give you. A, I'm going to talk about it here for a second without looking at the slides. There is another question. When a little baby is born, or when a little baby is conceived in its mother's womb, where does the soul come from? Does the soul come from the dad and mom? Just like the physical body does? That's called traducianism. It comes from the dad and mom. Or does God just create a soul afresh and give it to the body in the womb? That's called creationism. And I lean toward creationism, but I think that God, if you know, you had children, there are similarities in the spiritual tendencies and things that between children and parents, at least a lot of times. So maybe this God creates a soul that's related in some ways to the Dad and mom, it's a harder question than I can figure out. And I don't know if the Bible tells us a lot about it, but there's just, there's just a debate about it. There's another view that Mormons hold and, and, other, uh, and Eastern religions called pre-existentianism. It means that our souls just sit up there in heaven waiting for a body to be put into them. And they, we existed a long time before our bodies existed. And I don't believe that, and I don't think the Bible gives support to that. I think that at some point, right early in the time when our bodies come in our mother's wombs, God puts a soul there. And um, that's the end of that discussion. Uh, <laughs> all right, Clyde gets the last question, then we're going to sing. I think he creates them, creates them individually at the... Oh, no, I see. Creation didn't end. That's interesting. So that's an argument for traditionism. Well, but I mean, you and I didn't exist in our bodies either. There's something, in the, but the parents had a role in that. So, oh, I'm not going to get into that. We did enough for today. Let's sing because this is kind of a, a hymn that tells our souls to be still before God and rejoice in him. So it's related. <laughs>